Welcome to the Living Rock Podcast. We're so glad that you're joining us to listen to this message. Whoever you are and wherever you're listening from, we trust that you'll be equipped, envisioned and encouraged as you listen today. today about a guy called Jehoshaphat. If you didn't have anything to give thanks to God for before this morning, you have today, because you're not called Jehoshaphat. <laughs> Can you imagine the playground bullying if you were called Jehoshaphat? Anyway, we're going to look at a bit, at, uh, about, a bit about the life of Jehoshaphat. We spoke last week, as Sharon led us into worship, about the principle of our worship paving the way for taking ground paving the way for winning battles, for overcoming obstacles, for overcoming in the times when the devil threatens us and comes up against us. And we spoke about how worship is a powerful weapon in, in that particular fight. When we worship, we are seen not by God alone, but by well ourselves. We are seen by one another. But actually, we're also seen by all of the spiritual realm which, which we don't see, but which the scripture very clearly says is there and is watching. When we worship, we are seen by ourselves, we're seen by one another, we're certainly seen by God, we're seen by angels, we're seen by the devil and demonic forces and demonic kingdoms and authorities in the unseen world. When we, um, when we read the first chapter of Colossians, um, Everything that is in the unseen world is described. And it says that Jesus, he reigns over it all. But it's there nonetheless. And so we're going to read today the um, account of King Jehoshaphat. And can you turn in your Bibles to 2 Chronicles? And first of all, chapter 17. So 2 Chronicles might be an index job, (laughs) but 2 Chronicles chapter 17. Because I'm going to read a tiny little bit from from this chapter before we get onto the meat of what I want to talk about today. And um, this really just gives us a bit of an introduction to Jehoshaphat. talks about who he is. So it says this, 2 Chronicles uh, 17. Then Jehoshaphat, Asa's son, became the next king. He strengthened Judah to stand against any attack from Israel. He stationed troops in all the fortified towns of Judah, and he assigned additional garrisons to the land of Judah and to the towns of Ephraim that his father Asa had captured. The Lord was with Jehoshaphat because he followed the example of his father's early years, did not worship the images of Baal. He sought his father's God and obeyed his commands instead of following the evil practices of the kingdom of Israel. So the Lord established Jehoshaphat's control over the kingdom of Judah. All the people of Judah bought gifts to Jehoshaphat, so he became very wealthy and highly esteemed. He was deeply committed to the ways of the Lord. He removed the pagan shrines and Asherah poles from Judah. In the third year of his reign, Jehoshaphat sent his officials to teach in all the towns of Judah. Skip to verse 9. They took copies of the book of the law of the Lord and travelled round 
through all the towns of Judah, teaching the people. Then the fear of the Lord fell over all the surrounding kingdoms, so that none of them would want, so that none of them wanted to declare war on Jehoshaphat. So that's the first bit we're told in Scripture about Jehoshaphat and who he is. And you'll, you'll have picked up in there that it talks about Judah and it talks about Israel. And this was the time when the, the kingdom of Israel was divided. It split into two bits. There was Israel in the north and there was Judah in the south. And they both had different, different kings ruling over them. And we're talking about the bottom bit, the bit in Judah where... Oh, we've got a map. Excellent. And... Um, the bottom bit, Judah, where King Jehoshaphat is, is reigning. It was round about the same time as King Ahab is, uh, is king over Israel in the north. Um, I'm not sure they're the official artist's uh, portraits of the time. Uh, with hindsight, King Ahab will be disappointed he's been drawn with a sore spell on his head, I'm sure. <laughs> but he did have bigger things to worry about. So, uh, so there's King Ahab in the north, and about that time we've got Jehoshaphat in the in the south but we're told about Jehoshaphat that he was a good king that the Lord was with him verse 3 he sought God verse 4 the Lord established Jehoshaphat's control over the kingdom verse 5 he was highly esteemed he arranged for the people to be taught in the ways of God and the fear of the Lord fell over the neighbouring lands so that's who Jehoshaphat is so we're going to get to the main chunk of the scripture I want us to read today so can we flick a couple of pages to 2 Chronicles chapter 20. And we're going to read um, the first 30 verses. Wow, indeed. Two Chronicles 20. After this, the armies of the Moabites, Ammonites, and some of the Munites declared war on Jehoshaphat. Messengers came and told Jehoshaphat, a vast army from Edom is marching against you from beyond the Red Sea. They are already at Hazazon Tamat. That was another name for Engedi. I prefer Engedi. <laughs> Jehoshaphat was terrified by this news and begged the Lord for guidance. He also ordered everyone in Judah to begin fasting. So people from all the towns of Judah came to Jerusalem to seek the Lord's help. Jehoshaphat stood before the community of Judah and Jerusalem in front of the new courtyard at the temple of the Lord. He prayed, O Lord, God of our ancestors, you alone are the God who is in heaven. You are ruler of all the kingdoms of the earth, stand against you. O oh, our God, did you not drive out those who lived in this land when your people Israel arrived? And did you not give this land forever to the descendants of your friend Abraham? Your people settled here and built his temple to honour your name. They said, whenever we are faced with any calamity, such as war, plague or famine, we can come to stand in your presence before this temple where your name is honoured. We can cry out to you to save us and you will hear us and rescue us. And now see what the armies of Ammon, Moab and Mount Seir are doing. You would not let our ancestors invade those nations when Israel left Egypt. So they, so they went round them and did not destroy them. 
Now see how they reward us, for they have come to throw us out of your land, which you gave us as inheritance. O our God, won't you stop them? We are powerless against this mighty army that is about to attack us. We do not know what to do, but we are looking to you for help. As all the men of Judah stood before the Lord, with their little ones, wives and children, the Spirit of the Lord came upon one of the men standing there. His name was Jezil, son of Zechariah, son of Benaiah, son of Jael, son of Mataniah, a Levite who was a descendant of Asaph. He said, Listen, all you people of Judah and Jerusalem. Listen, King Jehoshaphat. This is what the Lord says. Do not be afraid. Don't be discouraged by this mighty army, for the battle is not yours, but God's. Tomorrow, march out against them. You will find them coming up through the ascent of Ziz at the end of the valley that opens into the wilderness of Jeruel. But you will not even need to fight. Take your positions, then stand still and watch the Lord's victory. He is with you, O people of Judah and Jerusalem. Do not be afraid or discouraged. Go out against them tomorrow, for the Lord is with you. Then... King Jehoshaphat bowed low with his face to the ground. And all the people of Judah and Jerusalem did the same, worshipping the Lord. Then the Levites from the clans of Kohath and Korah stood to praise the Lord, the God of Israel. With a morning, the army of Judah went out into the wilderness of Tekoah. On the way, Jehoshaphat stopped and said, Listen to me, all you people of Judah and Jerusalem. Believe in the Lord your God, and you will be able to stand firm. Believe in his prophets, and you will succeed. After consulting the people, the king appointed singers to walk ahead of the army, singing to the Lord and praising him for his holy splendour. This is what they sang. Give thanks to the Lord. His faithful love endures forever. At that very moment, they began to sing and give praise. The Lord caused the armies of Ammon, Moab, and Mount Seir to start fighting among themselves. The armies of Moab and Ammon turned against their allies from Mount Seir and killed every one of them. After they had destroyed the army of Seir, they began attacking each other. So when the army of Judah arrived at the lookout point in the wilderness... All they saw were dead bodies lying on the ground as far as they could see. Not a single one of the enemy had escaped. King Jehoshaphat and his men went out to gather the plunder. They found vast amounts of equipment, clothing and other valuables. More than they could carry, there was so much plunder that it took them three days just to collect it all. On the fourth day, they gathered in the Valley of Blessing which got its name that day because the people praised and thanked the Lord there. It is still called the Valley of Blessing today. Then all the men returned to Jerusalem with Jehoshaphat leading them, overjoyed that the Lord had given them victory over their enemies. They marched into Jerusalem to the music of harps, lyres and trumpets and they proceeded to the temple of the Lord. 
when all the surrounding kingdoms heard that the Lord himself had fought against the enemies of Israel, the fear of the Lord came over them. So Jehoshaphat's kingdom was at peace, for his God had given him rest on every side. That's the word of the Lord. King Jehoshaphat had a problem. A vast army was heading towards him. Just look on the next slide here. So you've got the Ammonites and the Moabites and the Edomites. And what they're doing, it says they're travelling from underneath the Red Sea. So their attack isn't coming from Israel, where they were heavily defended. Their attack is coming from beneath them. And it says that the armies had got as far on the way to Jerusalem as En Gedi. So they got quite a long way up. And, And that was the problem that Jehoshaphat had. He had a vast army heading towards him. And in fact, it wasn't just one vast army. It was three armies rolled into one. They outnumbered the Judean army by uh, by quite a long way. But Jehoshaphat's response to this news was to seek the Lord. And he led the people in doing the same. He led the people in both prayer and fasting. But it was his example. Imagine that response from our national leaders in our day of trouble in this country. And it seems really far-fetched, doesn't it? That Theresa May or Donald Trump would, would call their people to a period of prayer and of fasting. And we, can, and we can say, well, that would never happen in our land. But actually, I think the challenge is to say, well, what is our response in our day of calamity? No, sure, we don't see that among our national leaders. What is our response as people who know God? In times of trouble, are we quick to call on God? When we're threatened by our own advancing armies as well, do we go to God and do we do that quickly? When we're threatened, when we're threatened with job security or insecurity, when our marriages are threatened, when our integrity is threatened, when our faith is threatened, when our morality is threatened, when our health is threatened. Are we people who go to God quickly because that's our first response? Well, that was the first response of Jehoshaphat. In verse 3, we read that he's praying privately, but then in verse 5, he's before the people. He's done his prayer in private, but he's gone back to the public place now and to lead the people in a response. And the way that Jehoshaphat prays uh, in, in this chapter is really enlightening and can really help us as we seek to develop a life of prayer before God. So verse 6, he begins by ascribing sovereign power to God. He says, O God of our ancestors, you alone are the God who is in heaven. You are the ruler of all the kingdoms of the earth. You are powerful and mighty. No one can stand against you. Jehoshaphat isn't reminding God who he is. God knows who he is. Jehoshaphat is vocalising his faith in God and his recognition in his heart as to who God is. Let's pray like that. Even when we are most desperate, even when fear has got hold of us, so our insides are just melting away, let's pray like that. Let's ascribe sovereign power to God. You are powerful and mighty. No one can stand against you. When we begin our prayers, 
by ascribing all power and glory to God. We find that there's a strength and a hope and a confidence that comes into our praying. It's a reality. And we feel ourselves in touch with God. And then as Jehoshaphat continues to pray, he recalls an example of this sovereign power of God from, um, from Israel's own history. So in verse 7, O our God, did you not drive out those who lived in this land when your people Israel arrived? And did you not give this land forever to the descendants of your friend Abraham? Often in our prayers, we need to make sure that we're rejoicing in the things that God has already done. Not to remind God what he's already done. God knows what he's already done. (laughs) But it stirs something up in our spirits when we acknowledge before him what it is he's already done. It strengthens our confidence in his power. It strengthens our confidence in his faithfulness and his love. Then in verses 8 and 9, he recalls, Your people settled here and built this temple to honour your name. They said, whenever we're faced with any calamity, such as war, plague or famine, we can come to stand in your presence before this temple where your name is honoured. We can cry out to you to save us, and you will hear us and rescue us. Do you see what's building up there? There's a faith that is building up there. Jehoshaphat is saying out loud the things that are in his heart concerning his confidence in God. God knew all that stuff. (laughs) Jehoshaphat was not telling God things he didn't know. Jehoshaphat was stirring his own spirit to take hold of faith. Then in verses 10 and 11, he describes the plight they are in with the armies coming against them. And finally, in verse 12, he pleads for help and admits his helplessness. This is what he said. Oh, our God, won't you stop them? We are powerless against this mighty army that's about to attack us. We don't know what to do, but we're looking to you for help. That is a, it's a simple prayer, isn't it? You know, Jehoshaphat didn't go and explain everything that had been going on in Ammon and Moab and all the political situation there and explaining why the armies might have decided to come and attack them. And, you know, sometimes a simple prayer to God. I said sometimes, didn't I? All the time, a simple prayer to God is, is all that it takes because he knows. We just need him to tell us. We need to tell him what it is we're asking him. You know, sometimes when we pray for people who are sick, very often we end up getting caught up in a big, long conversation about exactly what's wrong and when it first started, when you've seen the doctor, what medication you might have taken, and, uh, and where, it, where it hurts and where it doesn't. And it's worse in the morning, it's worse at night. Let's stop doing that. <laughs> God knows that stuff. We've, the problem is we're sick. Someone needs to be well. That's what we should pray. We, we don't need the history. The prayer of Jehoshaphat was a simple and childlike cry to God for help. And you know, God responded to that because he sent his spirit upon a prophet named Jehaziel. When we read about the Holy Spirit in the Old Testament, what we tend to see is the Holy Spirit coming upon people for particular events. This is before the time when God had poured out his Holy Spirit into the lives of all his, uh, all his believers, all his followers. And the Holy Spirit came upon people at particular times and for particular reasons. 
And the way God responded to that cry for help from Jehoshaphat was to send his Holy Spirit upon a guy named Jehaziel, who was recognised as a prophet. And the prophet said, Listen, all you people of Judah and Jerusalem, this is what the Lord says. Don't be afraid. Don't be discouraged. The battle is not yours. It's God's. And then he told them what to do, to march out. He's with you, O people of Judah and Jerusalem. Don't be afraid or discouraged. Go out against them tomorrow, for the Lord is with you. The word of the Lord came to the people via the prophet. The word of the Lord came to thousands of people via one man. Seems really simple, doesn't it? God cried, uh, sorry, Jehoshaphat cried for help. God spoke via his prophet. And Jehoshaphat accepted the word. Can we be a people who have cried out to God and are then in expectation for God to answer us? Are we a people who are open to the voice of the prophet? Is that, is that one of the considerations we have when we cry out to God for something? That God will speak to us and he may well speak to us through the voice of the prophet, through the one who speaks on behalf of God to the people. And are we people who are ready to weigh that and say, yes, we can, we can respond to the word of God that's come by the prophet? Are we people who are so cynical and sceptical that God will ever speak to us that whilst we say our ears are open, our ears are in fact closed. Let's be a people who are open to the voice of God through his prophets. So what's the response? The prophetic word comes. The king accepts the word and he falls on his face to worship God. This is not um, a figure of speech <laughs> because it describes all the people falling on their face to worship God, you know? Sometimes we we will um, use songs which talk about our posture in worship. And we sing songs like, um, Lord, I lift my hands to you. (laughs) Um, Lord, we're on our knees. (laughs) And and, and it doesn't stack up, does it? But, But our posture as we come before God in worship is really important. When you look through the scripture, you will find that our posture and our activity as we worship God is really varied. Sometimes people are kneeling, sometimes they're lying on the floor, sometimes they're raising their hands, sometimes they are on their knees, sometimes they're clapping, sometimes they are spinning and dancing. It's all there. Let's not assume that every time we worship God, it is from a few rows of chairs, all facing in the same direction. And, um, and, and conforming like a, like, 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 a, um, like a crowd at a theatrical event. Let's worship God with everything that we have. So all these people picture the scene. They're on their face, on the ground before the Lord, and they're worshipping him. And then something different happens. While everyone is bowed low on their faces, some people get up. Some people stand. And together they begin to praise the Lord. It says verse 19, then the Levites from the clans of Kohath and Korah stood to praise the Lord, the God of Israel, with a very loud shout. So what was that about? Was that a spontaneous eruption of song from a few kinos, from a few free spirits? 
<laughs> who were those people? What caused that to happen? Do you remember a few weeks ago we spoke about serving and we turned to Chronicles and we looked at how rotors in Scripture are as old as the hills. You know, the 20th century church has not invented the rotor. But if we, if we flick back in Chronicles, back to Chronicles 6, we find the rotor where these guys are mentioned, the guys who did the standing up and the worshipping God. It said, uh, said 1 Chronicles 6, David assigned the following men to lead the music at the house of the Lord after the ark was played there. They ministered with music at the tabernacle until Solomon built the temple of the Lord in Jerusalem. They carried out their work following all the regulations handed down to them. These are the men who served along with their sons. Heman, which is just a great Bible name, Heman the musician was from the clan of Kerath. And then the descendants of Kerath, the sons of Levi, are given, and that's all recorded for us in, in 1 Chronicles. But that's who the Kerathites are. They're the people who have been ascribed to lead the worship among the people of God. And when they stood up to praise God with a loud shout, they were doing what they'd been assigned to do. They were fulfilling their role among that body of people. In other words, they're not just a group of of charismatic free spirits, the keen people trying to buck the trend. They're the people who have been appointed by David a long time before to carry out the musical ministry, the ministry of song among the people in Israel. It was a task to which they'd been appointed. And why are we told that when they stood up to worship, they did so noisily? Why do you think it says that? I'll tell you why it says it. It's because it's important. They shouted to the Lord, not because he's deaf, but to stir up faith in themselves and everybody who heard them. You know, there is a dynamic when we are worshipping God with other people that doesn't exist when we're worshipping God alone. Of course, we can still worship God noisily when we're alone. But there's an encouragement, there's a stirring of our spirits that happens when we're gathered together. If you have ever been to a football match, you'll know that very often there's a stand at the football match where all the singing starts. There is a... If you go down to Leicester City, which I tend to do quite a lot, there's one end of the ground, and if there's a song that's starting, it's that end of the ground that starts the song. And there'll be one guy who starts, and everyone else goes, we know the song? And the next guy joins in. And before long, you've got a stand, and then it trickles round. You've got a ground that is singing the same song. Okay, That, That just describes this kind of infectious nature of sung worship, which is what is happening at a football match. Okay, sung worship. It's, it, it, is, it is infectious. And I need to say this. There is a spiritual battle happening for our worship. The fact that we are a worshipping people, not just in this room, actually, but people, but people, everywhere, people. <laughs> Everybody is a worshipper. The battle is for the thing or the person that we're worshipping. Satan loves it when we bring our worship to anything that isn't God. He loves it when we are mute before God 
and yet vocally exhorting other things which we declare to have worth and value. So things like football and coffee and fashion and cars and pop stars and TV series and celebrities and diets and exercise plans and houses and gadgets and gizmos and holidays and stuff. Just go onto Facebook and have a flick through Facebook and look at all the things that are being, having value given to them. All the things that are being worshipped. We're in that battle. We mustn't be mute before God. Seriously, we must not be mute before God. This is something which I can give some testimony to. Because um, I, have, I have had to learn to be noisy before God. You see, the enemy will say to us, well, I can't noisily praise God because I'm afraid of what I'm going to sound like. I can't noisily praise God. I've got a terrible voice. I can't noisily praise God. I've, I've had a bad week. I can't noisily praise God because actually my walk with him is not perfect. I can't walk, I can't um, noisily praise God because actually that's just not reverent, is it? I can't noisily praise God because people are going to think I'm showing off. All of those are lies of the devil. If we are mute before God for any of those reasons, we are being robbed. And so is God. We need to fight the enemy head on. We need to decide and resolve to fight the enemy head on. It is absolutely vital. Men, find your voice. Find your voice among us when we're gathered. But find your voice among your families and find your voice in the workplace and find a voice in our community. It is the word of the Lord to us. We cannot be mute before God. You know, if we are here today thinking, I find it so difficult to bring my (coughs) vocal praise to God, we would love to pray for you. This is a serious business. Yes. We'd love to lay hands on you and just, just ask God to help you find your voice before him. Mm-hmm. Our culture and the way we conform is, is full of, um, well, don't do this, and you've got to behave like this, and you've got to do that. And before you know it, the voice of God is muted. Yes. The voice of ourselves to God, rather, is muted. We, we must not let that happen. We would love to pray for you today. If you want us to pray that we can find our voices before God, we should do that. It is a serious business. Back to Jehoshaphat. So we read, pick it up in verse 20, that the next day the army of Judah went out towards the advancing armies. And on the way, Jehoshaphat stopped and said, Listen to me, all you people of Judah and Jerusalem, Believe in the Lord your God and you will be able to stand firm. Believe in his prophets 
and you will succeed. And actually, that has to be an instruction not just to the army of Judah, but also to ourselves. Very often when we're not standing firm, it can be traced back to us not really believing the word of God. And not really believing the wealth of promises that he's made to us. And that's why, you know, Paul in Ephesians 6, when he talks about the armour of God, he says, put on the full armour of God and you will stand firm. What he's saying is be clothed in all that we see in God, in, in truth, in righteousness, and in peace, and faith, and salvation, and clothed with the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God, and you will stand firm. That is the exhortation of Paul. This little pep talk that Jehoshaphat is giving to the people of Judah, I would just so love to have listened to that. What an amazing stirring of faith must have happened. You've got the musicians who have turned up. And you've got the army who have turned up. And the army are there and they've got their little hats on and the armour and the swords and they've got the shields. Then you've got a bunch of guys who, uh, yeah, they're good singers. A couple of chaps with trumpets. And Jehoshaphat says, you singers, you musicians, you're the guys who are going to lead us out. Ahead of the guys in the armour. <laughs> what must have Jehoshaphat said that stirred up such faith? That must have been quite a pep talk, quite a team talk that he gave. It says in the scripture that Jehoshaphat consulted all the people. I don't think he said, now guys, what do you think we should do? I think he said, this is the word of the Lord to us. We need to proceed in faith. It's kind of a funny picture, isn't it? I mean, it is, it is so counter what is expected. There's an army coming, so we're going to send a bunch of musicians out. You know, it is so counter everything that you'd expect to happen. But what they did is they sang the songs of victory ahead of the battle. That's what they were doing. So the musicians led out the army and sang praise to God from the head of the ranks. And it says the moment they did so, God gave the victory. But this was not a battle that took place in a valley with man-made weapons, but a battle that had already been fought and won in the spiritual realm. Even though the victory belongs to God, the human means through which God gave the victory is the minister of the choir, of the singers. And it says in verse 22, at the very moment they began to sing and give praise, the Lord caused the armies of Ammon, Moab and Mount Seir to start fighting among themselves. It goes on to say, they didn't actually see the victory being won. If you read what it says, it said they've gathered, they've started their singing, and it says when they get to the lookout point, they see what has happened. How many victories are being won for us by our Lord that we can't even see? What about those times when we end up in a, in a place of blessing? Not really quite sure how we got there. <laughs> and yet God has already been winning victories for us. He's been going ahead of us. Who of us has a battle ahead of us? Who's got something that we need to contend for? Who's got a situation where we can say, like Jehoshaphat says, we don't know what to do, but we are looking to you for help. 
are we prepared to say to God, the battle is yours and not mine? And back to Ephesians 6, Paul reminds his readers that we're not fighting against flesh and blood enemies, but against evil rulers and authorities of the unseen world, against mighty powers in this dark world, and against evil spirits in the heavenly places. And I would draw out this following exhortation from, um, from 2 Chronicles 20, that spiritual worship and spiritual warfare should be carried out with singing. So in verse 19, when all the people fell down to worship God, the musicians stood up to sing. Verse 21, when the people went out to meet the enemy, the musicians went before them with songs of victory. Songs of victory before, um, before the battle had even been fought. I think it's true to say as well, from verse 22, that the enemies of God are thrown into confusion by the songs of God's people. That God has appointed the use of spiritual songs as an effective weapon against Satan. And that's just as true for us today as it was in the time of King Jehoshaphat. And that's why, again, going back to Paul, writing to the Ephesians, he says uh, to to the followers of Jesus, be filled with the Holy Spirit, singing sim... No, he didn't. He said singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs among yourselves and making music to the Lord your God in your hearts and give thanks for everything to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Be continually stirring up spiritual songs in our hearts, songs of, of, of God's victory, God, songs of God's providence, songs of God's faithfulness. Yes. Keep doing it. Yeah. Keep doing it. Keep contending for things in the spiritual realm that we probably even can't see um, ourselves at the moment. Our sun worship is an effective weapon. Did you know that when we gather here together on Sunday mornings, we, we come heavily armed? Yeah. Yes, that's right. You thought about that? Yeah. Everyone turns up heavily armed. Yeah. We probably shouldn't kind of get that out on the internet anywhere because we'll get, we'll get the police <laughs> turning up. But, but seriously, spiritually, we are a people who turn up together to, uh, to gather to worship and we are a heavily armed people. Not only that, um, we're heavily armed not just for our own benefit, but we're heavily armed for the benefit of all of us. Yeah, we gather together. We worship together. It is the together of our gathering that is so important. And you know, is that a mindset that we bring with us? Can we start to see the importance of our corporate worship of God in a new way, a way that demands total engagement? Our noisy participation. Each of us is coming heavily armed with a spiritual weapon. Our voices. Our sun worship. There is a responsibility for each of us to use that spiritual weapon and to use it well. Yeah? In Acts 16, we have the account of Paul and Silas and they're in prison in Philippi, and they've been stripped, and they've been beaten. And they've been thrown into prison. And to make sure they didn't escape after being stripped and beaten and thrown into prison, um, the jailer puts them in the most secure cell in the prison, and he changed their feet. So they, they were just really not going anywhere at all. And around midnight, we read that Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns, and everybody else was listening to them, and God intervened. 
There was an earthquake. Paul and Silas were freed from their cells and all the doors were flung wide open. And we, uh, we get this account of how the, the jailer, thinking everyone's, thinking everyone's run off because all the doors are open, is uh, going to kill himself. And Paul says, no, no, we're still here. And the, and the jailer um, believes in Christ as his saviour at that point. But the point is God intervened. And not because there was an explosion or there was a bomb or there was an army, but through the power of sung worship. And God intervened. This is a really important principle for us as we approach this next season, particularly thinking about Alpha Course, which is starting on Monday, and thinking about Christmas approaching and the opportunity that gives us as believers to talk about Jesus with, with a real freedom to those around us. We're here to carry the name of Jesus to Market Harbour and beyond. And we're in a season now where people are noticing us and people are noticing our distinctiveness. Let's make sure that one of those distinctives is the way we wholeheartedly bring our worship to God, stating that the battle is his and praising him for who he is and what he's done. I... um, I read a book earlier this year which details the history of the UK worship movement, uh, sort of starting from about the 1960s and the start of the charismatic revival. And um, there's a guy who was, uh, played an important part. He was a, um, effectively a record producer, actually, was his, was his training. And therefore he got involved in people who were um, worship leaders throughout the ages. And he was involved with, um, with Graham Kendrick, in the 70s and 80s, is, uh, and that's a name that we'll, we'll know well. And, and lots of people who have kind of become almost household names among the Christian community as people who write songs for us to, to worship God with. But one of the things he talks about is, is something called March for Jesus. I don't know if anyone remembers this, but in the 1980s, there was a national movement. It was March for Jesus, and it was led by Graham Kendrick. About, and it was to do with Christians getting on the street and praying over their towns and declaring the name of Jesus. And um, some people among us went on those marches and, uh, uh, and if we were alive at the time and in churches, would have known all about it. But that, that was March for Jesus. Well, a guy called Mike Bickle, who's the uh, director of the International House of Prayer, was interviewed for this book. And he sees a clear link between the March for Jesus events in the 1980s and the Alpha Course explosion in the 1990s. Let me read this. This is, I think this is really intriguing. It says this, For Mike Bickle, the link between March for Jesus and the successful evangelistic Alpha Course is clear. That Britain prays, and then Alpha breaks, and millions get saved. He says, I think those two things are connected. Think about that five-year period. There are masses of people united on the streets, prayer walking, and then, boom, the greatest grassroots evangelism thing we've ever seen. Alpha. I think it's linked. Absolutely linked. He says, I couldn't prove it, but I'd be shocked in heaven if it wasn't linked. (laughs) (laughs) And I think think that's true. We can't prove it. But, but, you know, there's a guy at the time. The reason I find that really emotional is it's the same victory as God won for King Jehoshaphat. Yeah? Do we get that? So, so we've got something in our lifetimes for many of us on a national scale 
where the name of Jesus is declared loudly. <laughs> the people are marching. The musicians are marching on the streets. <laughs> and then, boom, God moves. And the Alpha Course starts and millions of people are saved. And we'll have to wait for heaven until we really know. <laughs> but really, this is God. <laughs> he is working today in just the same way as he worked in the days of King Jehoshaphat. Isn't that great? You know, that's, that's a national thing. How about the local thing? How about what's happening in Market Harbour? <laughs> that we can declare the name of Jesus loudly over this town in our gatherings and beyond. And we can expect to see fruit in Alpha and all the other ways we minister to our communities. We can expect our noisy praise of Jesus, our exuberant worship of Jesus, to make a difference. Remember, we're not singing over ourselves. We're not singing just so God can hear us. We're singing because we stir one another up. We're singing over all the spiritual realm. The angels can hear us. The devil can hear us. That's why he wants us to be mute. The demons can hear us. Let's be real. Let's fight this fight together. Let's contend for our worship. I want these words for today to really um, um, kind of live in us with a real fullness and a real richness. I think it's really important for us as a body of people. God's word for us today has the power to shake us up and to change things. We can't expect to be in a gathering when we are listening to what God has done and what God promises to us and to leave worried about what time dinner is. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah, it's got to change it. It's got to shape us. We're a heavily armed people. And each of us are carrying within ourselves the most effective of weapons. Thanks for joining us today. There's so much going on at Living Rock Church and we'd love for you to be involved. Search for us online and get information about upcoming events and more great teaching. Visit www.livingrock.church or search for us on Facebook, Twitter and Instagram. <laughs>